Well, good morning to you. It's so good to see you here. You know, I, yesterday I came up to check out the parking lot, and if we could have rented skates, we could have had a really amazing day of, uh, of ice skating. Uh, it, was, it was a beautiful ice rink out there. Uh, we are finishing up a series on kind of as we launch into 2019, just about the DNA of our church. Why, are, why is Pleasant View here doing its thing year in and year out? We got rolling way back in the mid-50s. And this church has been in the, in the Derby community for a long time, proclaiming the gospel, modeling Jesus. And we have this idea back in the back and on your bulletin, and we've been talking about this idea of plant, grow, multiply. And we, why, why are we here? Well, we're here to help plant others in a relationship with Christ. We're here to help them grow in their faith. And then we are to the last thing, and, and it's a concentric thing. Just this, this is an ongoing thing. We don't, we don't graduate from multiply. We just keep going back. It's a, you see, if you ever notice on the bulletin and on the back there, there's these arrows. It just, it just keeps on rolling. And why we're here is to, to multiply the message of Christ to the world around us. So we, we want to help people get in, begin a relationship. We want to help them grow. Then we want to multiply the kingdom of God and seeing people come to faith in Christ. And that's why we're here doing what we do week in and week out. So if you got your Bibles, go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Acts is the early church really getting its footing as it gets rolling. And the video is powerful, Matthew 28. Jesus is giving final instructions to his disciples about taking the message. Go and make disciples. This is a powerful thing because we know in Acts, the book of Acts, they actually started doing this. The book of Acts tells us that they listened to Jesus and they did what Jesus told them to do. They didn't contemplate it. They didn't put a committee together to think that this is the wise thing to do. They went and did what he told them to do. And here's why they did it is because he had modeled it to them. He went around. He had conversations with people. He invested in people. More importantly, he spent crazy amount of time with them doing what they needed done so that they would take the message to the world around them. And so we've been talking about this idea of that the church is here. We're helped to plant, help them grow, and then multiply the message to the world around us. And that's why we do what we do. It's it's nice when we do all kinds of other things in our church, but the essence of who we are is to tell others about Jesus, help them grow in their relationship, and then just keep on rolling. Let's, let's keep on rolling. C.S. Lewis, I've been using this quote kind of all the way through. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If we're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, mission sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. If we're not doing those things, if we're not seeing people come to faith in Christ, if we're not helping people grow, if we're not seeing that happen, the church, then it becomes, I hate to use the word, it becomes like a country club. A bunch of people come in and we hang out with the same people week in and week out. And we want to we see the church grow, not because of me, but because God's mandated it to us to go. I mean... The go part in Matthew 28 is not I let you think about it, contemplate it. He doesn't say if you want to. He says go and do it. And the disciples we know actually started doing it. They actually started 
doing what God or what Jesus had told him to do. And so we talked about plant way back a few weeks ago um, that Paul said these words out of Galatians 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is, it is, it is, it is either no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for more. So he's talking about dying to self so that Christ may be the centerpiece of our life. And then we talked last week about the idea of grow out of Ephesians 4. It says, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of, of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, growing in the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is, into Christ. We were designed to not only have a relationship with Christ, but to grow in that relationship with Christ. And let me tell you something. This is where I I really believe that if you are growing in Christ, you will want to tell others about that. Here's what I've discovered about myself and about everybody else. If we're not growing in Christ, we have no inclination to tell others about Christ or very little. Yeah, that's a good church. Yeah, Jesus, but when you are growing in your relationship with Christ, it becomes personal, doesn't it? It becomes personal. You want others to know about this Jesus because of what you're experiencing, what you're taking in, what God is doing in your life. That's why when somebody goes and tells others about Jesus, it's, when, it's, when, it is, when it is intimate and personal, man, you can't stop. You, you keep talking about it. It's real. And I've been, I've, I've been in church most of my life, as far back as I can remember. I've been attending, my parents took me as far back as I can remember. And a few things I've learned about church life, that when we do plant, grow, multiply, uh, it's an amazing thing, because um, this is what we want to be about. And somebody's like, well, I, I know you want to be about that, but I have, some, I have some thoughts about what we ought to do too. You know, what I've learned about church life is if you are in the news, rarely is it for a good reason. It's tragic. Most of the time when a church is in the news, it's never because they're a growing church and because they're loving people. It's because of something else. Am I right? Too often, it's mismanagement of money or some other scandal or some misuse of power or whatever. And, and I was thinking about that this morning because there's a great church down in Florida that's going through a bunch of junk now. And it's like, they're, we're rarely in the news because we're proclaiming Jesus. We're more often in the news for something worse. And a few things about church life as we talk about why we're doing plant, grow, multiply. Why are we about these things? I know this. Uh, church life, we, we romanticize and when I would say we romanticize, that means that we're, that we're, not, we're better than, the, we're not as good as we really think we are. Well, I remember the good old days. We used to be this, we used to do that. Um, I will tell you this about every church. There, first off, let me just remind you, there are no perfect churches. And every church, every church has its, has its what I call underbelly. They, 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 you can see the you can see the highlight reel or you hear about this, but I promise you every church has its moments. Every church has its struggles. Every church has its things. And 
I was thinking about that for us, that we, as we grow and as we learn and as we shape, that we, we have to work through stuff. We have to plan. We have to pray. And I, I had a pastor, he wrote this down. He said, preach, pray, grow, anticipate drama, manage the drama, pray, keep preaching, rinse, and repeat. <laughs> and church life is that way. Church life isn't perfect. We don't always get it right. But the church is here for a purpose greater than me and greater than any one individual. You know, I think about the church and I think about the value of walking alongside people. And I I think I see that every Sunday because I stand up here and I see the plant grow and multiply. And I want to be about that as a pastor, but more importantly, as a person. That if I claim to have a relationship with God, how can I not want somebody else to have this, to know about this, to at least hear about it? And so whenever we're going through growth or solving problems, just like the book of Acts, and we're going to see this in Acts chapter 6, they had growing pains. They had growing pains because they were actually doing what God had mandated for them to go and make disciples. They were actually doing that. And so because of that, they were having some growing pains. And so when we have growing pains, I wrote down a few things that opportunities, opportunities to examine our ministries. Okay, do we keep doing it this way or do we morph it some? And that's the great thing about church life. You always are morphing. You don't, it doesn't stay this way forever. You, some things go away. Some things created. Some things we morph and we do different. Growing pains are opportunities for us to exercise faith in God and each other. When we have growing pains, we're thinking, how do we do this differently? How are we going to go about this? There are opportunities for say, okay, God, I'm not sure fully how this is going to work, but I'm going to trust you and trust the people that you put into, into those positions to do that. They are opportunities and growing pains to express love to each other, to the world around us. I mean, that's important. And any time that we have growing pains, they ought to be, hopefully, that what we're doing is helping others come to a relationship with Christ, helping them grow, and then we just keep recycling and going out and saying, okay, who else needs to know about Jesus? And so the disciples were doing that. And let me just tell you, this is really connected to last week. Because if you are not growing in your relationship with God, you are not inclined to invite somebody to church. You're not inclined to have a spiritual conversation with anybody because it's really not all that a big a deal in your life. And so Acts chapter 6, we get to this. They've got to solve some problems about the growth of their church, the early church. And it's important because the multiplication was happening. It really was, which is really awesome. It was happening, but they they needed to get additional people helping them to do it. But you know what the qualifiers were? Is that these were people who were in love with Jesus. They were in love with Jesus, telling others about him and wanting them to know. So if you got Acts chapter 6 and you're, you're there, we're starting to start in verse 1. And so here's what happens. This is, now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's just part of the groups that were all being represented, rose up against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Church life, when you get church gets bigger, needs increase, am I right? And it's all kinds of needs. It isn't not only, it's not spiritual, it's 
child, it's students, it's life groups, it's all, when the church grows, it has to meet needs on different levels. And so in this season of life, the church was growing, and one of the things they were doing was for widows, and widows was significant because a widow had no resource to make an income. In that culture, widows were really in a tough spot. Unless they had kids who could provide them an income, they were really on their own. And so the church stepped in the way it should and said, we'll make sure they got food on the table. Well, because the need was so big and so many people were uh, all of a sudden a group said, hey, hold on. Um, some of these people aren't getting help. Some of these people aren't, the needs aren't being met. And it says, and the 12, the, the, going back to the, the disciples, says, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve the tables. Now, don't take that. And the disciples were going, whoa, I'm too good to do that. What they were saying was, is that there needs to be a group of people that will give care. And this is where the, this is where the term deacon started to come out. The deacons and their wives were going to, they were going to administer and give care. And so that these guys could continue doing what they were doing. Okay. It was a both and. Let me just tell you, I love solving growth problems. Okay. When you have to figure out how to put somebody there or, or how to do this or how to do that. And then those are, those are exciting things to solve because you're a part of something that's bigger than what you're doing. And like, wow, God, this is amazing. And so the, the 12 weren't saying, we're too, we're too good to do this. But they recognized that if they were doing those things, then something would suffer. Am I right? It would be no different than if, if, you, if I'm your pastor, if, if you say, you need to lead all the life groups, you need to do all the student ministry, you need to do all the children's ministry, you need to be at all the hospital visits, you need to do all the Bible studies. Is that healthy? Is it biblical? It's not. Because that says that I'm the only one equipped to carry the message of God. Because I know a chunk of you out here who do that every week on a variety of levels. And you do it better than I do. And so you are a important part. Some of you are, are doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Some of you are leading life groups. Some of you take care of children and work in our student ministry. Some of you are up here and back there and greeting people out there and, taking, and, and getting coffee ready. And I can't do all those things and I'm not supposed to. Do I get involved in those things? I absolutely do. But I recognize that God did not call me to do those things. He called me to help equip those to do those things and help us to find people so that the, the message of God is communicated and isn't, isn't watered down, isn't because I don't have time or anything like that. So the disciples were saying, whoa, I mean, this is important. They recognized that we need to take care of these ladies. This is important. But they also recognized that the message and the word of Christ is even more important. That we need to keep telling others about Jesus. We, need to, we can't stop doing that. So they had this idea. So they said, since some of the full number of disciples, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the, of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
Now, the reason I told you a few minutes ago that your relationship with God is really crucial, regardless of your age, regardless of your past, because look at what it says the qualifiers were. Had a good reputation, were full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. You wanted somebody who was growing in their relationship with Christ. If you're going to put them in a, in a role like this, you want them to be able to have discernment. You want them to have the, the Spirit of God active and prevalent in their life. And then, because he says, we need those people be so that we can do this. And look at what he says in verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So I love this because it was a win-win for the church. The church was going to take care of the widows and they were still going to proclaim the Word of God. They weren't going to sacrifice one for the other. They recognized that they needed both, and both were important. But the Word of God needed to keep going. That's why he said, go and make disciples. And so he said that, and he said, we need to be able to do both. And that's why when we, when we enlist deacons or life group leaders or people who work with our, our children or greeters and it isn't because we're like, because uh, Danny doesn't want to do those jobs or Brad or Keith or Corey. No, no. It's because we recognize that everybody has, a, that God's wired you. Wired you for stuff. And some of you do it better than I do. And that's great. And I, I thumbs up. And so it's important for me to see that. And so it gives me then the freedom to be able to think about our church for the future. To get ready to do this with integrity and excellence every Sunday to take care of people that are in the hospital and not that I, I'm not the only one that does that um, you know we had several people in the hospital this past week and it was so amazing to have conversations with some of my my church family knowing that they're taking care of people some of them were deacons and some of them just do the deacon role and they don't have the title you know what that's pretty awesome it's pretty awesome to have people who will do stuff and they don't have to have a title to do it that was very encouraging to me because uh, I had to go up to Salina for some planning meetings for summer camp and knowing that people were being taken care of and it wasn't dependent upon me is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what the early church was saying. For us to multiply and grow, it can't be about a person or a group of 12. It had to be about more than that. And so, so they were saying, we want to take care of those people, but we also want to meet, keep pressing forward with this God stuff. And it says, and we said this and pleased the whole gathering. And they chose, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about Stephen here a little bit, probably more than the others, because Stephen was also the first one who died because of his faith. He died because of his faith. And it said, and here are the list of the other people. It says, and Philip, and Procarius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Par Parmenas, and Nicolaus, um, and as a proselyte of Antioch. All those were selected. How'd you like to have those names, by the way? These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. They selected these guys out because they saw maturity maturity in their life. They saw them growing in their relationship with God. They knew that they looked at these guys and they said, these guys can carry the mantle of care so that we can do our role. That is so important that these guys were selected because of what was happening in their life. 
they saw maturing. They saw growth. They saw them living out the things of Christ. If you're taking notes, I'll give you a couple things about fullness. Because we talked about this idea of full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to rattle through these pretty quickly. They were respected by others. Now let me just tell you, you can, be, you can be respected by somebody and they may not always agree with you, but they'll respect you because of what you stand for, the way you live your life, uh, the way your marriage is, parenting, work, ethic, whatever it is. But they'll respect you because you're consistent. I used to tell students, I had, a, I had students, I'd say, when you're at school, kids will respect you. They may not agree with you, but they'll respect you because you actually stand your ground. If you say you love Jesus and you stand your ground, they'll, they'll, they'll respect that. They'll honor that. They may not like it. They may not agree with it, but they'll go, they've got convictions about that. These guys were respected by the people around them. People saw them living their life out, and they said, those guys would be good at giving care to the widows. The next one is bearing fruit. And, and you see that there, it says, back in verse 5, it says, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That they saw that these guys were growing in full of faith. And this harkens back to a great verse out of, some of you who grew up in church um, will know this out of Galatians. I want to read it to you because um, Paul said these words out of Galatians 5, 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit, it doesn't say the fruit of man, doesn't say the fruit of him. It says the fruit of God. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. All those things are beautiful things. And and he says, the fruit of the Spirit was evident in these guys' life. Look at those words again. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they looked at those guys and they said, those guys are modeling the character of God in a very profound way. And it was noticeable. It was noticeable. The last one is godly wisdom. And as your pastor, one of the things I pray for every day, I, I, I mean, I, I, it's, a, it's important to me, is seeking biblical wisdom for how to lead our church in the right way. Because it's so easy for it to lead it Danny's way or somebody else's way. And if it's not God's way, we're in trouble. And so they looked at those guys and they saw they were respected. They saw, they saw the fruit the spiritual fruit of Christ evident in their lives and they saw that they had this wisdom that they could discern. One of the challenges we have here week in and week out is that we do benevolence and we give care to people and some people it's really easy to do and some of them it's really hard because we're not sure that um, we're really helping them. We're just perpetuating where they are. And then some of them are legit needs and man, it's... man. That's why we have a pool. We have three guys and the, the staff and the office and we men. But we'll, pl- we'll pray about it. We'll talk about it. We'll flush it out. We'll, because we, under, we want to be good stewards of what's been entrusted to us. So we kind of have all these little safety nets. And they looked at those guys and they said, if we want the church to be healthy, we want to keep it multiplying. We want to see the kingdom of God expanding. That they, They're going to need some wisdom too. They're going to need to be growing. And so they selected those guys to take care of the widows so that the others could go and keep proclaiming the word of God. So verse 7 says this, and the word of God, let me, this is really important verse because had they focused on meeting 
if they had just shifted all their priorities over to meeting the, the food needs, the danger in that is that the gospel would be, well, we don't have time. We're doing all these things. We're too busy. And then you know what happens to the church? It becomes a social services church. I don't know if you ever thought about that. And that's a, that's a, that's a dance because you want to meet needs, but you also want to proclaim the, the gospel. You, want to, you would never want to stop doing that. You never want to say, and so you, you want to find that balance of meeting needs, but still proclaiming the word. This is really important because verse 7, look at what it says. It says, they, they had a problem. They, need, they, they solved the problem. And then look at what happens because they kept a kingdom mindset. They said, we want to keep multiplying. We want to keep seeing God work. And look at what it says. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. A couple commentaries said that about eight to 10,000 priests who grew up a different way came to faith in Christ. Oftentimes you might think of them as scribes or Pharisees. Think about that number. That these were people that were teaching one way and then because of what God was doing in their lives and because of the faithfulness of these guys and they were starting to understand what the gospel was really about, that people were surrendering their lives on just a record number. And you see that. But the church is at its best when everybody has a part. Do you agree? You know, I meet far too many pastors who carry too much of the water of their church. And then when they leave, the church implodes. Because there's no one there to help. Early in my ministry, I was at, I was at a Prairie Hills out in Augusta as their youth pastor. And right or wrong, it was wrong at the time as I thought about it. Um, the ministry of the students hinged on me. And you know what I bought into? Well, I'm the paid guy, so it should, I should do all these things. I should be responsible that everything, I want to make sure that everything that happens is, it's, it hinged on me. And I remember that the, the student ministry was really healthy and God was doing good stuff. And this church was looking for a youth pastor. And I met with their team and I ended up coming to be the youth pastor. But what I had done there is I had failed to prepare that student ministry for its next season of life. There were no leaders in play. Because it was me and my wife. And though I had some volunteers, I had not equipped them. I had not blessed them. I had not encouraged them. I had not prepared for that moment when God would call me someplace else. So consequently, when I left, that student ministry suffered tremendously because I had failed to prepare them. And here the disciples were looking that if we don't put a plan in play, the kingdom of God's going to suffer. Those women aren't going to have their basic needs met and the word of God isn't going to get proclaimed. And so when we talk about multiply, let me just tell you, it hinges back on our spiritual growth that 
we think about, we think biblically, God, I need wisdom. God, I need discernment. God, I want to be growing in my relationship with you. And so verse 8 says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged in the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians and the Alexandrians and of the Cecilias and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now here's what else I know about church life. There are a lot of people who want their church to grow, but they want it to grow on their pace. They want it to grow on their schedule. They want to make sure that they know everybody. And that everybody knows their place. I've been in church a long time. And I've actually had people say the church is growing too fast. I think that's an oxymoron. I don't know how the church can grow and grow too. And it wasn't that we were changing. It's that all these new people were coming in. And they were like, I don't know these people. I'm like, how about this? Go get to know them. And I remember the lady looked at me. She went, yeah, that's a good idea. I, I mean, I was, I, was try, I was trying to hide my face of disbelief when she came to me. She said, the church is growing too fast, Danny. What can you do about it? I talked to God. I don't know. God, we're, you're blessing us too much. Can you just not do that so much? Um, and so church life is funny because when church life is growing, people are like, yay, but you're sitting in my seat. Yay, but you're in my parking spot. Yay, but um, you took the last cup of coffee. Yay, but you took the last cookie. Yay, but man, you know, we came late and there are no seats. So I got to sit up there with Danny. It's, it's funny because we want the church to grow, but we have some kind of parameters that we'd like it to grow. And you don't see that here. You see the church just grew. And as they grew, they solved problems. And I, I'll tell you as your pastor, I'm, I'm, that's where I, that's my sweet spot. If, if, if I can be, uh, not that I want to solve problems that are hard because that's the reality of church life, but man, I'm better when I'm solving problems of growth. I just, I just am. I'm, I'm just, I don't, that's, that's where I am. And so they rose up and said, whoa, this guy, I don't know, man, this guy, he's, maybe he's too big for his britches. What, whatever it was, they didn't like him. And here's another thing I've noticed. When somebody is full of the Holy Spirit, other people are intimidated. Other people are convicted. Other people are um, threatened. Because, wow, this person, where did this person come from? And it says, verse 10 said this, it says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They couldn't stand up against him. Because, not because he was this great, great oratory of, of God's word. It's because they could sense the Holy Spirit was with him. How do you argue with that? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you go up against somebody who is full of God and they could see it? And it says they couldn't withstand his wisdom. I mean, think about this. He had so much of Jesus that when, when he was answering them, I'm sure they were thinking Jesus was doing the same thing to all the religious leaders of his day. Every time they would press him about an issue, he had the perfect answer. How'd you like to have that every time? And so going back to verse 8, it said, and Stephen full. See, Stephen was full of Jesus and wanted others to know. And so if you're right, taking some notes, uh, just, I, I, this is kind of extra. The fullness and power. 
or excuse me, grace and power, that what he was doing in his life filled him with grace and power, that he could do what he was doing. The next one was unanswerable wisdom like Jesus. He had this unanswerable wisdom like Jesus. Jesus frustrated the religious leaders of his day and he gave the right answer. He gave them answers they had no answer for. All they could do was mutter and whine and complain and plot. And that was the same thing that was happening to Stephen. Salvation is for everyone. The gospel can penetrate the hardest hearts. I want you to think about somebody for a moment. How many of you know somebody, man, their they're, they're, they're idea of God or a bad experience, or they're just hardened to the idea of God? How many of you know that person? Chunk of you. Man, they're just for one reason or another. It might be something we did or didn't do. It might be an experience in church life. It, take your pick. But I know that God can, can soften a heart that has been hardened by pain of life, by God didn't answer prayer the right way, by what we model, good or bad, take your pick. And Stephen knew that God can change because you know what, just like Paul, Stephen knew if he could do it in his life, he could do it in anybody's life. And he looked at those religious leaders and he didn't back down, he didn't, he didn't coast, he didn't say, he, he, he spoke it and it was with power and confidence and they were like, wow, this guy's been with Jesus. This guy has been with Jesus. And see, when we've been with Jesus, we want others to know it. We don't want to be quiet about it. I'm not asking you to stand out here next to my church and say, Jesus saves sign. Because those typically don't work very well. But I do know what works is starting a relationship with somebody. A cashier. Somebody at your checkout. A co-worker. A neighbor. We talk a lot about that, guys. And it's not just a, let me go share Jesus to the world around us. But man, build a relationship with somebody. Have a conversation with somebody. Because if they know that you care, they're likely to give you a listening ear. If they actually know that you care and you go, they go, man, you know, Steph always wants to talk to me. She's always asking me if there's something she can pray for. She's, she's always checking in on my family and seeing how we're doing. And naturally, that's going to open potential doors to hearing about the gospel. But it takes, it takes, some, it takes some on us. And I'm, I'm reading a new book about intimacy with Christ and how that plays out into our families and our marriages and our friendships. And it's in, it, in this idea of intimacy. And I, and I was reading this morning and it really kind of congealed for me that in this idea of multiply, and I, I just jotted down these thoughts, a growing intimacy with Christ grows our awareness for others. See, the more you're growing in Christ the more aware you are of people who don't know Christ. And instead, you don't go, well, I ought to get Danny. He ought to go talk to them. See, if you're growing in Christ, you're going to go, I may not know everything, but I'm going to go talk to them because God has laid them on my heart. And I think the more that we're growing, the more likely it is that we want to share that knowledge and invite. It's exciting because my, my life group's fairly new and half of that group has been invited by somebody else. 
that used to go here, or I mean, excuse me, that goes here. And they go, hey, we got this new life group coming. Hey, you ought, to, you ought to come join us. You ought to come check us out. It's pretty easy. It's not hard, is it? It takes some initiative. It takes some intentionality. Hey, come sit with me in church and, and see what we're about, this new series we're about to start. Uh, one of the reasons we do it that way is so that it gives you an opportunity. You know, I'd invite them. We're starting a brand new series next week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. It's called the Bucket Series. And we're going to look at four main buckets that we ought to be filling. But we're also going to have a whole bunch of other buckets up here that we tend to put a lot of energy into that don't have really any great value in our lives. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four buckets. Well, you think you got a friend to go, well, they put a lot of friendships. They put a lot of time into friendships. I'm going to, I'm going to invite them to that series and they can come sit with me. And I'm going to introduce them to Danny. And I'm going to introduce them to some other people who are in love with Jesus. I might even invite them to my life group. And so a growing intimacy with Christ grows our awareness of others. And man, I just think about all the people that cross my path. I think about the, the checkout gal at Quick Trip. Her name is Kira. She's a single mom. And talked to her this morning. Said, how are you doing? And, and of course, we had this conversation. And, and you just build on those. You just build on those. So verse 11, let's finish this out. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Okay, how about this? You're so spiritual. Now we got to get people to make up stuff about you. That's what was happening with Stephen. The guys couldn't find a way to kind of weave, weave into him. He was doing such a good job modeling Jesus. They were like, look, we got we to get people to make up stuff about him. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against him against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will, be, will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council, you know I like words because words, especially specific words, the council saw. The council saw saw, they saw the, I, 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 I just did some digging on this. They saw this intimacy that he had with God. They saw it. They saw that he had a relationship with God. And even, because I don't know about you, but if somebody is questioning my character and my motives are pure, man, the hair in the back of my neck is going to stand up. My, my heart's going to beat a little harder. And I'm going to be defensive. I mean, that's our natural default position. If you are accusing me of something that I didn't do, I remember we're, we're new to this parenting gig and, and something happened at home and I asked my daughter, I said, did you do this? And she looked at me and she said, no, I didn't. And I, I did that, that parent thing that I, I wished I, I could undo. And I went, Give her that look like, did you, you know, like, like, uh, basically, you know what I was saying to her? You are lying to me. And she looked back at me and she, and she went, dad, I said, I didn't do it. And I sat there for a second and went, dang it. 
because I was calling her a liar. And she looked at me, and, and you know what the look was? It was like, you don't trust me? I know she's not perfect, and I know that. But in this moment, she was right. In this moment, she was right. She was telling me the truth. And when those guys looked at Stephen, they looked at him and they saw this guy that was in love with Jesus and they could see it. They saw. And it's interesting because look at what it says. Finish the verse out. It says, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And this harkens back. You know why this is so significant? Because it harkens back to Moses when he came down with the Ten Commandments. It harkens back to that because the people saw this radiant Moses coming down. And they went, that guy's been with Jesus. Whoa, look at that. I mean, he is, wow. And this is the same thing. They looked at him and they went, okay, he's been with Jesus and is with Jesus. And if you know this story, they put him in a pit and they throw rocks until they've stoned him. And I don't know about you, but you don't die on the first rock or the second or the third there were lots that were plucked at him until he did die. But I, I'll never forget the words that he said. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because here was a man who loved Jesus. And I promise you that there was somebody that heard that prayer that was tossing rocks. And their life was radically changed because of what they saw in him. They didn't see him crying out curses upon them. They didn't see him saying, why me or woe is me? They saw him loving God to his last breath. And that multiplication was impactful to the world around them. The church grew immensely because there were people who were growing in their relationship with God. They were taking the message to the world around them. They were, they were, they were diversifying the ministry so that the ministries were, people were getting care and the word of God was proclaimed. It was a beautiful thing. But they saw his relationship, and it's this. Evangelism is an offering to God in response to all Jesus has given you. So when we think about the multiplication piece, it ought to be an offering that, God, I get to go do this on your behalf because what you have done in my life. So I want you to think about that hard person for a second. I want you to pray with me that God will begin chipping away whatever hardness has come between them and God and that you will have the courage to invite them, to talk to them, to check in on them, to pray with them, text them, email them, whatever means of communication you have to say, praying for you, thinking about you, anything I can help you with. Maybe some of you in this room, you need to get growing because you're not going to share what you're not growing in. Okay? The more you're growing, the more likely it is you'll share. All right? Maybe some of you, this is where you need to call home. And that to help us be a part of that is to grow in this relationship. And numbers are cool, but multiplying the kingdom of God is even cooler. All right? So there might be a decision. This is an altar that you might want to treat as a thing of prayer. And I want to encourage you to do that. So let's pray. And then uh, we'll give you an opportunity. God, I pray that people see in me a relationship with you. Not a title but you. And I pray, God, that we would reflect you well to the world around us, that we would meet the needs that come our way, that we will proclaim your word, 
and that we would do both well. One can't circumvent the other. And that's why everybody in this room has, has a piece of the puzzle that really matters for this church to, to reflect you and honor you well. The DNA of our church is to help plant those in a relationship, help them mature in their faith, and then to share that gospel, to multiply it to the world around us. And I pray that we would do those things well to give you glory and honor, God. God, I pray for those in this room that they have friends who have hearts that are hardened. They have family members. They have spouses. They have children, grandchildren, co-workers, neighbors, whatever it is. I pray even now, God, that you would chip away the hardness that they might be experiencing. And God, for whatever things that we need to respond to, whether it's making this our church home, maybe we've got spiritual questions, uh, we would love to talk to them about those things. God, we thank you in advance that we get to be a lighthouse to the world around us. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. I'll be up here.